Welcome to PA Centered, a podcast designed to help listeners be a part of the solution to end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Each episode, we will take on a topic or current event to help spark conversation and break down barriers to building communities free from sexual violence. I'm Jackie Strom, the Prevention and Resource Coordinator at the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. I'll be your host today as we're joined by Kathleen Palm, founder of the Center for Children's Justice, to talk about how we can keep kids safe during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Kathy founded the Center for Children's Justice in 2003. This organization works to promote community responsibility so every Pennsylvania child is protected from abuse, including sexual abuse. Kathy has spent 25 years working to improve systems that intersect with the lives of children and families and has been so valuable to PCAR over the years. Welcome, Kathy. So good to talk with you, Jackie. So as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has been going on for months now, and it has brought a lot of challenges. And COVID has really changed how children are being cared for. So can you share a few of the key differences you know about and the effects these changes can have on the care children receive? Sure, and at first it's, it's interesting as you know, I mean, we've, I think when, if we had started this podcast in March, I don't think any of us would have thought we'd still be having this conversation in December. So it's been a longer journey than I think most of us anticipated. Interestingly enough, as as we head into winter, and I think we're all very anxious about kind of dark winter days and 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 rising case numbers and and frankly rising deaths, and that invites its own anxiety. There has been a shift since March in terms of understanding the importance of school, and I'll you know you won't see my air quotes, but normalized activities for kids to be connected to school, to be connected to care providers. Um, so as worrisome as the next couple weeks and months are going to be, I fear, I do feel like there's a little bit of silver lining in the sense that more kids are back in a kind of more in-person learning environment for now than earlier in March. That said, we are far from anything ideal. Um, you still have uh, so many children who are both trying to learn um, and who were struggling to learn in a formalized setting and are now really struggling to learn in a remote setting where there's not the right technology, um, they're hands-on learners, they're kind of people who really want immediate feedback. And then there they are trying to do that, this new job of theirs, their new learning style alongside parents or caregivers who are just, as I said, we maybe kind of kept it together in March, but it's December and we're all saying, wait a second, like now we're still struggling to do our jobs. Um, it feels confusing every time we turn around, it's like, are our kids remote learners? Are they in-person learners? So I do think that, you know, there's no question that while children are not thankfully being fundamentally affected by the virus itself, I do think children are probably, you know, being affected by the most in terms of collateral um, damage or, or, or related things. And just simple things like here we are in December um, and kids anxiety about like Santa, you know, like 
can I see Santa? How do I see Santa? You know, we often talked about giving kids boundaries, like if they don't want to sit on Santa's lap. So usually the conversation is about how you respect kids and protect them and, and listen to them if they don't want that connector tissue um, in such a personal way with Santa. But for a lot of kids, they want that. And now it's like, you know, there's that, in, there's that screen between them. So it's just a changed world for children. I, I do want to say one thing before we go further is I join with many parents and many advocates for children with being very concerned about the state of where things are for children. But I also feel like we haven't spent enough time talking about that there could be some positives that have come out of this. I think uh, I see in my own kids that I feel like they've become a bit more resilient in terms of handling problems um, and, and negotiating things not going their way than maybe a year ago. So maybe we can't definitively measure that at this point or know that, but hopefully one of the things that is a side effect for kids is that they're learning a bit of coping skills um, and how life can throw you a curveball at any moment. Um, and so, so yeah, it is a tough and different time for kids. Absolutely. And I know when you and I have talked before, you've seen, unfortunately, um, higher fatality and near fatality data happening over the last couple of months. Could you talk a little bit about that? And if you have any tips or suggestions um, about like safety measures that could be taken to make sure that we're trying to keep kids as safe as possible. Well, you know, I think when we've talked, especially those, of, you know, in connected tissue with PCAR, we've often thought about the sexual exploitation and sexual abuse of children. But we've also seen just a whole lot of issues that have been born out of supervisory. And, and, and I want to be cautious in saying neglect because, again, parents are like trying to do things and maybe their full attention isn't on their child at every moment. Or maybe the 13-year-old is caring for the three-year-old while mom's got a Zoom call that she can't be interrupted on. And the 13-year-old's just not really ready or prepared to do that. So, in you know, we, we saw more situations where, um, you know, ingestions, we saw a significant change in ingestions in terms of, and even that, was different you know in some communities the ingestions were ingestions of illegal substances that were found in the home versus legal substances that were just not out of reach so even as you're acknowledging those numbers we'd sit at a table and try to or sit at a zoom table i should say and think about prevention strategies and they couldn't be universal they weren't necessarily the same because when you were talking about an ingestion which might have involved Suboxone, for instance, which is a medication used to help folks navigate um, recovery from an opiate use disorder. Suboxone pills are not packaged in, in the most child-friendly, um, safe packaging. It's just how they're made. They're very dissolvable. So even the most intentional caregiver could drop one or two on the floor. And any parent knows this, a kid picks something up they got in their mouth. And in case of Suboxone, before you can get it out, it's already started to, you know, dissolve inside their mouth. So in that case, you might be thinking about lock boxes and keeping medicines out of place. But in another part of the state where the ingestion is related to illegal substances, you're talking about, you know, lock boxes may not be the right strategies. Um, and through it all, I think a lot of what we've seen, whether it's children who fell out of windows, children who fell into 
um, fire pits, children who drowned, um, these things around ingestions, a lot of it has that thread of substance use. You know, folks who, you know, so I think we're seeing a higher level of use of substances, um, which, you know, clearly infants dying from unsafe sleep. Um, so there's just these things that have always been kind of there and impacting children, but are feeling magnified, um, you know, and are magnified because of the pandemic. Babies, you know, if you had gave birth to a baby in 2020, you know, more power to you because we all know that having a newborn is so stressful. We know the Johnson and Johnson commercials are like, oh, it's so cute and they cute and it's so beautiful and it's so peaceful. It's not. Having a baby is stressful. You don't sleep. They need you at every moment. You feel inadequate. You feel insecure. Um, yes, you're happy, but it's also like so mired in all these self-doubts. And at least in ordinary years, you can hand off to grandma, or you can talk to the neighbor, or you can have a family, some other support system. So, you know, so many parents, so many caregivers are like 24 seven caring for kids of all ages, but particularly for infants. So, so I think that's one of the things that has been concerning to us. Guns, we have seen record sales of guns. We have also seen way too many incidences where kids had access to guns. Um, and I always tell this story, I'm the mom, in addition to being an advocate of my mom. And when my oldest daughter was little and we were considering her first play date, I said to my husband, well, I just have been a little uncomfortable because I'm not sure how to approach the family about whether or not they have guns that are safely stored. My husband was like all freaked out. Like you are not even going to infringe on their rights. How dare you think about asking them that? So then I sent him some articles about kids who died from gun violence, you know, had access. And he was like, he then started asking the questions. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's really an important thing for parents is to empower them to listen to each other and ask difficult questions and not think it's just about your parenting style or your parental rights. It really is about our shared responsibility to protect kids. So, so yeah, I mean, we always have interesting and tough conversations as parents and more so now because of a pandemic. That is a perfect segue to my next question. Um, we know, and like you said, parents are looking for help supervising their children right now. And it, it looks very different right now because of the pandemic. Um, and they're trying to navigate all these new challenges from COVID, like working from home or lack of daycare or school options. And so you already talked about gun safety, but are there other qualities that someone should look for in a caretaker for their children? Oh, that's such an important thing. I, so often, particularly um, even before the pandemic, if you're on any Facebook page that involves a lot of parents, you will see these pop-ups of somebody saying, oh my gosh, I'm gonna need a childcare and someone else saying, oh, I'm good with kids, like I stay from home or my teen is good with children. And I think, you know, if you're a parent, who doesn't have the luxury of saying, you know, navigating your workplace to say, hey, be flexible, work with me, I have childcare issues. You don't always have the luxury of being that like picky. And again, picky might not be the right word. So, so I think that's fundamentally why we, when you're picking a caregiver, when you're looking for a childcare setting, is just thinking about things like 
you know, background checks and things like that. But even background checks are a moment in time look. Um, I often say to people, like, you know, make sure you go into the home, look around. Are there smoke detectors? Um, is there a pool? Even a body of water. Remember, little people drown very quickly in a small amount of water. So we all know the hazards of a pool and whether or not there should be a fence around it. But what about a wheelbarrow full of water and things like that? So, you know, electrical um, issues, access to, to guns, access to medications. Like, this is the most treasured possession you have. And so when you walk into a caregiver or you're thinking about a caregiver, we jokingly used to have this campaign that we'd say, if you wouldn't leave your purse with this person, you probably shouldn't leave your child. Um, and it just helped people remember that sometimes we're so focused on, I've got to get to work. And I so painfully understand for parents how tough that, that balancing act is. But it's also really important to kind of just step and have a real comfort level with the situation and the environment you're living in. Um, reinforce safe sleep. If it's an infant, reinforce safe sleep things. Um, sleep on the back alone, not on a sofa. Um, are there other children in the home? And what are the other children? How many? What are their age groups? You know, so those are all things. And, and I even as I rattle off that list, I hear myself going, oh God, you've just made every parent nervous. Because this is the hard thing about it is, in the work we do, you want people to be on guard and on the lookout to protect children, to keep kids safe. But sometimes we also have to be careful, like we balance it without them feeling either inadequate or totally overwhelmed by, oh my heavens, like, like imagine the parent who has a child in care right now and they're hearing me say about smoke detectors and they're like, I don't know that I've ever looked. Are there smoke detectors in that home? So you know, the, the important thing about parenting, the important thing about being a caregiver is to be on guard, to be attentive to things, but also to breathe, to just not be so overwhelmed or so anxious or so um, believing you're getting it all wrong because you're getting so much of it right um, and just hold on to the fact that you're getting so much of it right. And it sounds like it's never too late to start asking those questions about smoke detectors or um, how weapons are stored or um, electrical or pool things, like all the things you mentioned, there's always time to ask those questions, right? Right. And I think, you know, if you're part of a parent group, like encourage that, like encourage each other to ask questions and be upfront and say, like, similar to my husband, like, I, I said to him, I could care less if people own guns, you know, the same way I could care less if somebody owns like a snake, you know, like if they're, they're, their pet of a choice is a snake, I just want to kind of make sure that whatever it is, isn't, is not going to compromise the safety of my child. And so it, we really have to get beyond kind of like, you know, and these are tough conversations, but get beyond this being something that's about me kind of like questioning your choices or me having some statement, particularly now, my goodness, we are in such a period of time where everything's about politics, everything's about being divisive and, and, and uh, not too civil. So, so you just have to figure out how you frame it and you should never, ever, ever feel bad, sorry, or uh, apologetic about I'm sorry, this is like, this is it. Like, this is my baby. Like, this is my child. They are unique. Uh, I'm never gonna like replace them. And so like, I'm just gonna ask the right question. I'm gonna ask the questions I wanna ask and I hope you'll really indulge me in them. That's great advice. 
So I know we talked about this a little bit earlier about how we've been spending so much time online, including recording this podcast online. Um, So we've been finding new ways to connect virtually with one another. And um, I know that teachers and parents and other educators are really trying to figure out the best way to keep kids safe online and also be that supportive person in case a child needs to talk to them about something. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about things that like what teachers or other parents should be watching out for as they interact virtually with children and what they might do if they see any of these red flags. Well, I mean, I I first, I think it's important for just like in the regular classroom, if if I were teaching a a group of children, I, I would expect from day one, I set the stage of like, if there's something you want to talk about, I'm always available to you. Um, so, you know, maybe it's as simple as teaching, especially if it's a younger child, but also a tween or teen, like just teaching them about the, you know, here's how you can send me a, a chat privately. Um, you know, so if something happens or, or you're scared or whatever, how do you outreach to me? Like, I am still somebody who is so deeply invested in you and here's how you reach me directly. Um, on the flip side, I think parents also have to really you know, for, we, we went so far in our society to really kind of draw the lines between what's appropriate. So teachers really shouldn't be emailing kids directly. They really shouldn't be having like private conversations with them via electronic means. And now here we are, that, that is it. And, and again, I speak to my own experience as a parent. I had one of my kids who their teacher was struggling with their own technology And so he was struggling to navigate the platform that the school used and meant nothing by it. But his solution was to have the kids be like privately emailing him and vice versa and things like that. And I just was like, "Mm," like I turned to my daughter, I'm like, yeah, something about that seems a little off. Again, nothing, there was nothing he was up to. But I think, you know, for us parents, for the younger kids, we have to like figure out how it's not too much and they're not being exposed to things we don't know about. And the same with the older kids. If you're a teacher, I think the other thing is just to please remember like yourself as well, how stressful these times are. So we've had a number of calls at the center where people are like, oh my gosh, like there's this mom in the background and she's so harsh. And, you know, look, we all know words matter and words can hurt. But we also are in a time of pandemic where people have like, just imagine a backpack on your back and we just keep putting rock in it after rock in it. You maybe don't have a job or you have less hours than you used to. You're potentially losing your home. Um, You're at home 24 seven with your children. Maybe the tension that used to be minor between you and your partner is now much more than that. So there are sure to be moments of harshness. There are sure to be moments of impatience and and things like that so if you encounter that before jumping to conclusions like follow up with the parent and be like so how are things going is there anything you can need um i do think schools have done a fantastic job um you know as much as they can i think people are really trying to do well i've seen teachers and administrators going beyond the call of duty on things um And the other thing that is emerging as a real significant problem 
is that we, for the longest period of time, we were seeing a reduction in the calls to, to the child abuse hotline or the county children youth agencies. And we still are not where we used to be, but where we are seeing an uptick is in truancy. So, you know, so there's your growing concern about the calls that are coming in about truancy. Um, and so even that we're asking people to think about from a balanced perspective, like, is that, is true, is that an indicator that there's potentially really a safety or health or well-being issue for the child? Or is that again, a reflection of a family that's overwhelmed? That's like, or what if it's grandma who's the caregiver and is like, I don't know how to do attendance. Like, you know, I don't know what to do with the third grader. So, um, you know, but just a reminder to every mandated reporter, every teacher, is that nobody has stopped working. It all looks different, but Childline is still operating at 1-800-932-0313. They're still taking calls. They're still helping people sort through things. If something you encounter is different than you've encountered before, it's on its face, doesn't feel like child abuse, but feels off to you, call the Children Youth Agency, call the 1-800 number and talk it through. Be like, here's what I'm encountering, you know, and then also think about what else is a pathway. You know, um, is this, is there some link you can share to your parents by email that's like, oh, here's a stress reductor or like, you know, have you thought about doing this instead of, you know, sitting down and playing a game in the afternoon? Like, let's learn math by playing Monopoly. I don't know. So you know, I, I think it's a tough time for parents, but it's also a tough time for mandated reporters because um, they're not sure exactly how to navigate this all as well either. So it sounds like you're sharing that if, if someone is questioning or they're, they're just not sure something feels off, the best thing to do is still make that phone call and, and check in. Well, remember, we always think of the hotline and we always think of county children youth agencies as we're reporting it has to be report but you know there are folks they're never going to tell you yes or no to make the report but there is no reason that you can't pick up the phone and the other thing is you know several years ago we changed the policy to say there's no um you can no longer have the chain of command reporting so if you're the line teacher you used to maybe tell the school counselor or you used to tell the principal and you'd let them be the official make the mandated report that doesn't happen anymore you're if you're the school teacher if you're the if you are the person who suspects the child abuse you have to make the report but in changing that statute we never said don't still be collaborative so if I'm a teacher and I'm like, here's what it is, here's what I'm experiencing, here's what I'm seeing, like talk to your fellow teachers, talk to the guidance counselor. You know, it's possible that the guidance counselor knows, you know, something you don't know. Um, you know, maybe the, the parent has reached out to say like, you know, I wanted to let you know that I'm concerned about my child because our gra the grandmother's in the hospital and he's really anxious about it. But for some reason, the parent hasn't told the teacher that, um, you know, or things like that. So, and other kids, the other thing is kids talking to kids. Um, you know, I had another experience as a parent where, you know, my littlest guy came, who's in elementary school, came home and said, about a little boy on the bus that was crying. He got on the school bus right after the bus stop and he was really crying. And, you know, my son, because of the work I do, was like, you better call somebody, mom. Like something's, and I was like, well, is this the first time you've seen him crying? Like, did he seem anything? Like, 
but and then thankfully different than my son i had some context to know that his grandmother's in a nursing home he hasn't seen her in months you know so it was kind of like and also to think through like you know what are the other ways i can know a little bit more about whether that child's in a decent spot um or whether or not there is reason to be concerned about the child crying um look we we're all under pressure we are all under pressure. We are all kind of like living in a powder keg. We are all like expressing emotions. And as I said to you before we started this podcast, like when, when it was March and April, it was tough because it was new. We didn't know what to expect. We were insecure, but it was, there were flowers popping out of the ground. We had warm weather. We could send our kids outdoor. We could go outside and breathe the fresh air in. We could take a walk. I, I think this is probably the period we're about to enter into both from a public health perspective is probably the most challenging but i also worry i think this is the most anxious i am about the well-being of children and families um because even if you had the most intense support system even if you had the best coping skills in march likely they're a little diminished by december and particularly december rain cold yucky weather so um so i just say to folks don't give up on each other don't give up on yourselves if you're a mandated reporter and you're not sure you know make when we say make the call you don't have to think of it as make the call because i'm reporting child abuse it's make the call to say here can i just talk this through with you for a moment and again likely you're not going to get a child line worker or a child youth worker who says definitively yes make a report or no make a report because then i'm assuming the liability for that but they might say have you thought about this you know or you know what are the resources available there a lot of schools have done a great job around nutrition um, and connecting kids to meals i think we could be asking schools to think a little bit more about things like substance use support groups recovery including for kids themselves um, you know, like that's been that population of folks who have a substance use disorder is that this is this is tough. This is tough times, particularly, as I said, as we go into December and darker months. So so I'd encourage people who are connecting with families and kids, you know, think about the whole thing of what makes us whole and healthy. It's food. It's shelter. It is you know, the, the, the proper access to and use of substances. Um, and so, you know, kind of go through the checklist of it's, it's safety from violence. So kind of go through a checklist and think like, is any of this going on for this family? Does anybody around me know if any of this is going on for this family? Um, and then think about what to do from there. Don't have your first gut be, or your only gut be, I gotta make a report to child abuse. Like think a little bit about it, engage, it a little bit but don't ever if if where your gut is is to make a report then don't second guess it do it that's really helpful and a really great reminder that again we're all under a lot of pressure right now um, and have a lot of different stressors and that we can be collaborative and continue to rely on the support of our colleagues and and be able to talk that through and get that support so it seems like throughout the pandemic, folks have found new ways to think about prevention, which 
Um, in my role, I really get an opportunity to talk with prevention educators around the state. And it's been an interesting journey making the transition from usually in-person education to a virtual setting. Um, are there other recommendations that you can make to help keep children safe as we continue to live in a virtual world as a result of COVID? Well, I think you can't overemphasize the, you know, that every kid has to have one trusted party that they can turn to. There's always a trusted adult somewhere. Who is that? Know who that is. Um, I know early in the pandemic and still almost every day, a number of us talk about this concept of like an SOS for kids. Um, you know, early in the pandemic, there were the, the caravans for birthday parties and teachers driving by kids' houses. And many of us were like, is there something we could do? Is there an app? Is there a blue circle that kids put in the window that's kind of like, I'm in trouble? Um, so I do think we have to be more creative than we've ever been. I think, again, it's we talk a lot about how do you reinforce to a mandated reporter that you still have an obligation to report. But I would hope that schools aren't skimping in any way on and shouldn't be skimping in any way in reinforcing the positive health messages. Um, we've seen some great work initiated by a number of advocates, PCAR, the center, uh, mission kids, a bunch of us just sitting around talking about this, like what about kids who are at home and aren't safe? Um, and we came up with this concept of like, could we approach the attorney general and reframe the safe to say line? maybe not the best idea in the whole world is maybe we, if we were going for a Pulitzer Prize, maybe we wouldn't get it, but it was kind of quick thinking of, you already have a ready platform. You already have a number kids know about. You already have um, a readily advertised thing like safe to say and a mechanism set up that if somebody does call there expressing concerns, the people answering the phone at safe to say are mandated reporters. So thankfully the attorney general and and um, folks really worked pretty well to kind of repackage that message because if you you know going into the pandemic the safe to say line was you know we want to know if you're safe at school like or how to keep your school safe. Clearly kids called for other reasons but largely it was framed around it obviously grew out of you know, one of the tragic American school shootings in this country. Um, but it was a nice way to kind of repackage it and remind kids that they deserve to be safe in whatever setting they're in. Um, and so we've seen programs like Mission Kids develop a 60-second PSA, um, family support, um, the family support line in Delaware County is developing some great little PSAs, but also um, social media campaign that really speak to teens to say, if you're in trouble, if you know someone in trouble, here's where to call. So I, I think, you know, everything about this pandemic, you know, is, is this kind of, in one way we have to learn to rewrite the narrative and the, and the lessons and the tools. And in another way, we're, we're scrapping things we've long believed in. So long we've had that boundaries of don't interact between teachers and parents or coaches and kids in like a personal way, shared emails and things like that. Heck, that's gone out the window. You know, we've always been, PCAR particularly has always been big about children shouldn't be in this protect themselves mode. We really should have bystanders. We really should make sure that we, the community, are on the lookout for our children. And yet here we are, <laughs> where part of what we've had to do in this pandemic is figure out how we reach kids so they can be their own protector. 
like here's a number to call here's what to do to be safe if you're concerned um and not just about sexual violence or physical violence but depression i think probably the other thing that is anecdotal i just want to underscore that but for somebody who spent 20 years looking at child fatality numbers and kind of like the the statistics and the data it's always been about little people. We always see little people die, um, zero to three. Um, and that is still very true. We are still seeing you know, too many very little people die or nearly die in this pandemic. But the number of tweens and teens that are showing up in those charts, um, you know, that speaks volumes about kids who are struggling with anxiety and substance abuse and mental health issues. And if I was struggling to learn and I had an IEP that wasn't working for me when I was in a regular school setting, ugh, you know? And so now if I'm a parent, you know, if I'm a parent who's always been a champion for my kid, always been a champion, always on top of the IEP, but frankly, him being home or her being home or them being home 24 seven is driving me crazy. You know, so so I think it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things, but it is this odd environment where we cannot do enough right now to remind kids you can speak up, you should speak up. Use your voice, whether that's voice is to say, This stinks, I'm so sad about this pandemic, or whether that voice is somebody is touching me, you know, somebody is doing things to me, somebody has taken a belt to me. Um, somebody has threatened me online, like, do not be afraid to tell people, children, teenagers to speak up. And then the most important thing I can say, because I'm a parent and I mess this up all the time, is you cannot tell a child or a teen to speak up and not be on guard for your own response. If you are the parent who you tell your kid always to talk, speak up, talk to you, and then when they come to you and say, oh yeah, I forgot like that you told me to like take out the laundry or the trash, and you start screaming at them, you know, or you told them not to do something on social media and they did it, but they came and told you and now you're yelling at them, like likely they're not telling you the next time. Um, and fundamentally, if a child tells you they're being hurt, Years ago, we had a debate at a table around the center back then when we called the Protect Our Children Committee, where we wanted to adopt a series of principles. And the first principle was that a child should be believed. Wow, did that set off like a whole sentence of people going, no, 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 you cannot have that there. And da -da. Because there was a lot of people who are in the business of being independent fact finders arbitrators you know and and we were like whoa wait a second we want to be clear about this like we're saying that if a child speaks their truth to you you have to hear them you have to say thank you for sharing that i'm so sorry that happened to you what can i do to help where do we go from here not that especially if you're talking about a potential crime against child in saying i believe that child does not mean that you're nullifying that there is now an appropriate due process and judicial response that may need to flow from here so you know i guess that's you know a long way of saying that if you are your life is intersecting with a child in any way just make sure they know that they're not alone they they have a voice they'll be heard um and that you're scared too. I mean, I think sometimes we adults forget to tell kids, like, we agree. Like if a, if a kid says to you, this sucks, I hope that's okay to say on a podcast. Um, you know, it's, 
it's okay to be like, it does. It really does. Um, but let's, let's try to find the silver lining. Um, so let's not diminish. I, I sometimes, I had this like, own experience with our kids early on that the school like was really big on, you know, send us your happy moments. Tell us what you like. Why are you so happy? What's so neat about this? Totally thought it was cool. But I was like, but I think you should also invite them. Like maybe they want to make a video that like give them a chance to say, here's what kind of stinks about this pandemic. Here's what stinks about this. And, and we forget sometimes like we're such big people. We're worried about such big things that are real. Like, can I pay the mortgage? Can I get food on the table? Am I going to have a job tomorrow? Um, why is my husband annoying the heck out of me? That sometimes we forget that for kids, it's so, so much, you know, like in, in my, I have a child who's a sixth grader. So that's an elementary school. And then they go to seventh grade. So it's a whole new building. So when you get to be a sixth grader, you are like at the top of the food chain. You're at the top of the ladder. And his biggest disappointment about school this year, because they're part virtual, part in person is that they don't, the sixth graders don't get the back of the bus. Like the little people, because, you know, we're, we're keeping pods of kids together. He, I mean, there were days he spent crying his little heart out because it's just not fair, mom. Like I'm a sixth grader. I should have this part of the bus. And I have to say the first time he said it, I was kind of like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, are you kidding me? Um, but, but that's, but we parents, we caregivers, we adults have to be like, get rid of that. You gotta be kidding me. Cause honestly, his not getting to have the right place on the bus is no different than I'm like, can I pay the bill this month? You know, that's big for him. So and for kids. So just listen to them, be present to them. Um, find something new to do, find something creative. And I know we're getting into cold, dreary months, but put on a coat and get outside. Move, move, move. Find something to do outside and breathe some fresh air. This has been a really great reminder that um, how important it is to listen to kids when they want to talk to you and that even like with your son, if you're able to acknowledge and validate those feelings, it's more likely that he's going to be able to come talk to you about other big stuff in his life. So I just really love that example. And, and you know, it's funny because I just want to say one other thing because about my teens and teens, my own experience with this, you know, it's a really hard balancing act as a parent that you want to kind of, I know a lot of parents who I don't really understand the technology, so I'm probably talking out of school, but essentially can see a lot of the same text that their kids see. Um, and so it's a pretty close kind of surveillance of their their kids' online behavior. Um, and, and they do it for all the right reasons and, and why they do it is important. But I also think we as parents have to take a step back and realize, particularly in this pandemic, that the fundamental place that our teens and tweens may be turning to for support is each other. Um, and so like my kids and I, you know, again, not to keep going back to my own experience, but we had to have a real conversation about privacy. Um, lots of conversation about consent. Trust me, Peter, we're always talking about consent, like always thinking about like, you know, and different examples depending on the age, you know, so for the younger kids, we talk about food on a plate. And if you ask as you're taking it off the plate, that's not really consent. For the older kids, we get a little more real about, you know, those uh, sexual interactions and things like that. But, um, but it's, I've, I've really made it a point to talk to my kids about, like, I want, I want to be in a spot where I'm not totally surveilling your 
your texts and your social media um, because I think it is the one place that kids get to be kids and, and we all screwed up. Like, I mean, my God, if there had been social media 20 years ago, every time something wacky happened on the playground or in our community, I don't even know where we'd be. But I think it's also really important to t talk to your kids and say, I'm, if I'm going to give you that little bit of leeway to say, I'm not going to over monitor what you look at because I want you and your friends. Like if one of my son's friends wants to talk to him about something that's really bothering him at home, like my dad, and, and we did have this experience, you know, uh, a father who, you know, drank a lot and was pretty abusive to kids. And, you know, that was opened up to, to one of my children. Um, and I didn't know about it because I was monitoring the text. I knew about it because she spoke to me about it. But so how you balance that to say, I'm going to give you the space to have that private conversation with another team, but I also want you to really understand you shouldn't carry this alone. Like if there's something somebody's talking to you about, even if it's not something immediate that you think you need intervention, safety, intervention, or it can be a lot to be the person that all your friends go to and talk to you about heavy stuff like substance use or abuse or uh, self-harm. So make sure you're willing to talk to us about that, but also then make sure your friends know that there's an element of privacy there. And, but if it gets to a point where you really are concerned, then you gotta be, you gotta say privacy. It's kind of like what we say all the time, you know, like there's just a point where um, I want to be as open and honest and engaging and respect your right to do something. But at some point, if I think it's unsafe or unwell um, and, and affects more than just you, I'm going to have to switch the dynamic. So I think that's the other thing is knowing your kids and giving them the right space, the right tools, and absolute permission to screw up, to screw up, to be scared, to not make the right things. We, we have a tendency, there's this song, I don't even know who it is. Um, and it's, I, I heard it a couple months ago and it just sticks with me most days that it's something like love me. Um, and the, the, I think actually Delilah Rumberg, um, you know, former CEO P car might've sent it to me, but uh, it's essentially, if you listen to the words, it's just like, if I don't become like the A student, if I don't become the special, like if I don't have a great career, if I end up incarcerated, like, will you still love me? And it's, it's clearly a spiritual song, but I think it's applicable to our interaction with each other. And especially in a society that's been a little less civil and forgiving of each other, to just remind kids that screwing up is part of life. And so there's always a place for forgiveness. There's always a place for accountability, but there's always a place for forgiveness as well. Because I think if our kids don't believe they can be forgiven or understood, there's really no incentive to speak to us. Um, because if they fear like you're not going to hear them, you're going to shut them down, or you're going to so totally judge them, why would they even come to us? So again, kind of feel like I hope I'm not depressing all the parents out there um, that it's like, that's too many rules. That's too many thoughts. Um, and, and for us parents, just keep talking to each other, um, you know, and not just the parents, you know, like I learn as much from people who don't have kids who are kind of like, sometimes they're actually the better folks. Kids will be like, really? Have you thought about it from this perspective? Because sometimes as parents, we kind of like come together in this like shared fraternity sorority of 
dang it, like these miserable kids, we're in it. You know, so sometimes we just kind of feed upon ourselves and each other, whereas somebody else with a different perspective might say, hmm, I think I, they're just looking to be heard. I think they're just looking to be understood. And you're like, really? Because that's not what I was thinking. You know, so, so always be open, 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 open to, to being wrong and to listening and to never, never, never forgetting the value of a child. Um, we just can't say that enough, the value of a child. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us to talk about how to keep kids safe during this pandemic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, but we want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of PA Centered, and you can learn more about the Center for Children's Justice at c4cj.org. Thanks so much, Kathy. Oh, thanks, Jackie. Take care. Have a good holiday season. If you or a loved one needs help, a local sexual assault center is available 24-7. Call 1-888-772-7227 for more information or find your local center online at pcar.org. Together, we can end sexual violence. Any views or opinions expressed on PA Centered by staff or their guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of PCAR or PCAR's funders.